All right. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Rich, and this is the Scuttlebutt. Today I have a very interesting uh, trapper from Ontario. Yes, Ontario. And uh, most of his work is animal damage control. Please welcome Steve Belanger. How are you today, Steve? I'm good, sir. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, it's, uh, I was just out checking my trail cams this morning, and um, I've, I've got a couple of bull elk and, and a fair to middling uh, white-tailed buck on my land, so... Uh, I might be I might be busy the next few mornings, but <laughs> yeah, you bet. There's only there'd only be squirrels on my trail cam in the backyard. <laughs> oh, <laughs> uh, and the dogs chase them away most of the time. Well, we have this ongoing battle, and it's so funny because when you get this time of the year, you're trying you're trying to hunt animals, right? You, you bet. And up up to this point, uh, I see them the moose, the elk, the deer, whatever, in, in my wife's garden, and I open the door, and the dogs go flying and. And uh, you know, chase them off, right? And now, now when I go to the door, and I'm packing a gun and I'm sneaking, and, and the dogs are all there. And <laughs> that's oh, that'd be yeah, that'd be my boys. As soon as, as soon as they see a gun, they know they're out there waiting. Especially if you start looking down the sights of it, they're waiting. They're waiting for that snap because it means something died. <laughs> <laughs> what, what kind of dogs you got? Uh, both uh, Jack Russells, big oh. big Jack Russells. Yeah, terrier. I'm a I'm a terrier guy. I use them. I use them out on the line whenever I'm I'm trapping winter coyotes. I, I use them out on the line. They're my my trap line dogs. We'll say, um, they help with you know where you have spots where all the terrain all the terrain meets, but maybe you don't have the sign like you don't have a track. If it's a certain time of year when I'm doing ADC stuff, if it's a time of year I don't have a track, I don't have a pile of scat, but you know they're traveling through and they always got a all these nice key locations, right? They got to pee on something. So my one dog is actually fairly unique. You can, you can actually tell between a coyote and a fox if it's marked there. Cause if really? it's a, if it, yeah, if it's a fox, he'll, he'll kind of do a little dance. Like, you know, and they, they smell something real nice. They start trying to rub up on something. If it's fox, if it's a fox, it's peed on something. That's what he'll do. If, really? it's, a coyote, if it's a coyote, he'll always mark over top of it. And then he'll scratch. You know how the dogs, how they start yeah. kicking up the ear. But he only has ever done that with coyote. It's only ever been coyote. That's he very cool. With other dogs. So, you know, once you find that fire hydrant or like, you know, like I said, everything comes together, but you're not actually getting the sign. You can't visually see the sign, but you get the dogs, they smell it and they'll, they'll show you what's there. And it's true, you know, I got an old buddy and his wife has a dog that honest to God is a furry slippers with, with legs, you know, I mean, it's just yeah, a, yeah. one of those whatevers and, and, but you can't, you can't ever hack on him about his dog because he'll get on you. He says, do you know how many coyotes and wolves that dog has killed? Yeah. <laughs> and you laugh about it. And he says, no. And he tells the story just like what, what you do, that, that he'll be walking around trying to figure a place to, to set a trap especially like a, a people's trap and and uh, he he says that the dog will, will, will put him on it every time and he says otherwise you know he says less they freshly peed there in the snow you don't know it you don't know it like you know the time of year where the grass is green and all the covers up and everything like you're you're looking you're looking for a track well there's no track on grass unless you get enough you know get lucky and they cross the spot where there's some mud or something and you can see a footprint but like i say you're trying to you're trying to be on location but you don't want to set a trap for the sake of setting it, but you want to make sure, well, my dogs, they help me out. They, they've taught me a lot more about coyotes than, than I would learn on my own, to be honest, you know, what? just how they, and plus, you know, it makes it a heck of a lot of, of a time saver whenever I, I like to drag a lot of coyotes and uh, whenever I catch them. And yeah. uh, 
it makes it a lot tough if they do get a little bit further and I can't find the coyote on the drag right away. It's a lot easier when I let the dogs out and they, they go and they pile into a coyote quick. <laughs> they, they all think those Jack Russells, like we, um, we've hunted South Africa several times yeah. and, and they love the Jack Russell over there in, in South Africa or, and the Parsons, I believe. Yeah. Parsons yeah. My one, my red one, he's more like a Parsons. Yeah. He's a little bit slimmer built and, and uh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know the difference, but they, they, they let them loose and none of them have any manners whatsoever. And, and they're boneheaded as, as, as can be, but make a bad shot on an animal and, and you'll pack them food for a week. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Cause they, they take after them. They hit that, that, that scent and, and uh, all, you don't even have to look down. You just listen for them to be barking somewhere and you follow right to the bark and they'll have, they'll be going around and around that animal and, and, you know, keeping it, it, it staying in one spot so you catch up. Hey folks, Rich from Trapping Inc. TV here, and we all have our idea of the perfect morning. You know what I'm talking about. For me, the perfect morning starts with the aroma and flavor of freshly brewed Old Smokes coffee. Studies have shown that just the smell of fresh coffee can boost brain activity. No kidding. Well, that's certainly no secret to me. I can barely talk before that first cup. <laughs> just ask Sandy. I'm a dark roast man, and Old Smokes Coffee's darkest roast, Stout Maple, is what gets my day in gear. Extra dark, it's strong, aromatic, and smooth. Gets me revved up for whatever that day throws at me. Old Smokes roasts their coffee over wood fires, the old-fashioned way. Wood roasting takes more time, much longer than modern hot air roasting. Slow roasting over wood takes the bitter out of the bean and imparts a heavenly taste and aroma from the wood smoke. Old Smokes makes a roast perfect for each person. There are five roasts, from light to extra dark, each roasted over a different wood for a unique flavor. Did you know the darker the roast, the lower the caffeine content? It's true. Caffeine is a volatile oil that evaporates with roasting. The lightest roast has the most caffeine, and the darkest roasts have the most flavor. Right now, you can order from their online store and use our promo code RICH. That's R-I-C-H. And get 10% off your entire order. Pretty simple. Just go to www.olsmokescoffee.com. That's O-L-E smokescoffee.com. And use the promo code RICH. That is promo code RICH for 10% off your entire order. And now let's get to today's show. Well, what I used to do kind of like I, I kind of got into at the same time as I did trapping. Um, I got into falconry. So I was, uh, I was a falconer for, I guess I still am. I just, I don't, I don't practice it anymore, but I actually got them for flushing rabbits and actually squirrels because uh, no what kidding. I did mostly was, was squirrels with the, with the raptors that I, I trap. So. That would be cool if you, if you could do ADC work with a raptor. <laughs> well, I did, I did do it for a little bit, uh, but it was more so uh, there's, there's company. So how I kind of, I, I got into it. I got into trapping. It was kind of finally something that I got into. And then I, I just, I had a job opportunity where I, I, I got in more into the actual ABC field. And, and this is kind of, I was kind of green to trapping or very green to trapping, but this ABC kind of influenced how I trap and, and then it's evolved from there to, uh, to what I do now. But I got into falconry, this company, they did bird control, um, and they're using raptors, um, to scare off nuisance birds mainly. So, you know, you have a landfill with excess amounts of gall activity and stuff like that. They, you know, you'd use a, introducing a predator, an apex, well, an apex predator to those birds would 
be a satisfactory to, to scaring them off. And every now and then your birds would catch them and it would promote further scaring and get that permits <laughs> and stuff like that too, to, to catch them. But yeah, we killed a lot of beach chickens over the years with the uh, flying hawks on them and stuff. So it was, it was pretty cool. It, it was oh, that's fun. fascinating. So yeah. how, I got a ton of questions about that. So we're going to go down a big rabbit hole here. <laughs> <laughs> how trainable is a hawk? Or, pardon me, you call them raptors. Which, what are you actually using? So I, I flew mostly hawks, but like, you know, there, there, when it comes to your, your raptors, there, there's, there's hawks, like birds that we would call falconry birds. Um, you, there's hawks, falcons, and eagles. Your owls are in there too, and your vultures, but neither of them are really viable. Well, it's just like, you don't want the gun that shoots slower and less accurate. You want the gun that shoots faster, hits harder, more accurate. So that's what it is with falconry. You want the birds that, for one, are actually workable. You know, your owls are kind of big and slow and dumb type deal. Well, you want the faster, you want the faster predator. So I flew mostly hawks whenever I, whenever I was doing hunting, just hunting with them. That's just me going out with the dogs, trying to bust a rabbit, bust a squirrel. I use mostly hawks. There's guys that fly falcons um, on, ducks and stuff like Saskatchewan has a lot better better terrain for flying falcons big open country and a lot more game birds but um yeah it's it's, so training training a hawk yeah they are and to be to be honest the the wild ones are easier to train really which which hawks did you use use like I used red tail hawk the red tail okay the red tail and then we used for bird control we use a lot of kind of the workhorse it's called a harris a harris hawk or a harris's hawk so they're in arizona um kind of in the uh, sonoran desert they're they're uh, they're the only raptor that i know of i may be wrong but they're the only raptor that i know of that hunt in packs in the wild really yeah they hunt like wolves and you bring them up up to ontario to hunt yeah so these are all these these are all captive bred birds that so in order to use them for a commercial purpose they cannot be wild taken birds if you follow. Yeah, okay. I can't go and trap a hawk and then use it to for my business. So that's where captive breeding is always coming. You buy captive bred birds, you train them, and then you put them to put them to purpose type thing. But for hunting, you apply here in Ontario. It's a it's a it's like a lottery type system. You apply for a permit to trap a wild bird, and then you may get it, you may not. So you get one then you can go out and you can trap whatever bird is on their list so for me i flew mostly red-tailed hawks um so when you're working them uh are you just basically throwing them up and they, and they chase whatever whatever flies away from them or can pretty well target yeah, something pretty, yeah pretty well so like training them it, it's not a it's not a love relationship it's not like your dog that you know they see you they're happy to see you with with training or, or, or any type of raptor it's 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 well without getting into a bunch of like I say you're like you said going down a rabbit hole here without getting too much into it when you're trapping a wild bird it's a food relationship so at first I trap a bird get equipment on them get them tied down you start reducing their weight anybody can take a bird and starve it to or take an animal and starve it to the point that it has no choice but to take food from you but you're trying to strategically lower their weight you're trying to find that sweet spot where the animal is still healthy enough to fly and hunt game but it is responsive to you because if 
they live in the now. If they're presently not hungry, they presently don't give a crap about you type thing. No kidding. Yeah. So it's, it's developing what you call a hunting weight, flying weight. And then the training comes from there. Okay. I get the bird to eat off my glove. Then I get the bird to jump 12 inches off the perch onto my glove. And then I get them to come 10 feet to the glove on a, on a creon. It's on like a line. And then next, you know, I'm free flying the bird. And then you're putting te telemetry and you're putting game in front of them. And, and the, the, the hawk is, especially a wild bird, it's smart enough to develop it's smart enough to realize that it's better off hunting with you than it is by itself. Really? That's and fascinating. Yeah, And the time of year I'm trapping a red tail is kind of this time of year. So most raptors, once the parents are done feeding them, they kick them to the curb and they say, you know, have a good life type thing. And that's why there's such a high mortality rate in raptors. 75, 80% of the young will die by winter type deal. So, what you're doing by trapping them later on in the year, like November, is you're weeding out all of those animals that were maybe not meant to survive. You know, some people don't like to hear that, but not everything is meant to survive, right? You know, in most cases, uh, you know, depending on like on fish, they they count on one percent of those uh, of the eggs to to make it to spawn themselves, and you know, with uh, with some some of the mammals and that the marten and that kind of thing, they they count on ten percent making it to 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 breed on their own. I mean, they, nature oversupplies in a big way. Yeah, and so that's that was kind of my strategy, and you start trapping this time of year. Um, and then you're getting a bird. It's already been out. It's already been hunting for itself. It's been feeding itself. All I'm doing is convincing it that I'm a better hunting partner. And my dog, actually, they they actually, most of the time they get to following the dogs around more because the dogs are better at producing game for them than I am. Oh, that's really cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Do, yeah. do your hawks leave? Do your, do your hawks migrate there? Like ours, ours are gone now. Yes. Yeah, you will you will get a migration. I'm sure it's already it's already happened. Um, I I know a lot of people in the community that they do like the bird banding and they get them on the migrate on the migration. They get them in mist nets and band them and release them and stuff. So your red tails they do migrate to a certain point, but here in southern Ontario, I find a lot of birds that would normally migrate don't migrate anymore. Well, yeah, you guys are, are a long way south of us, and and yeah, uh, sure. so you're yeah. you're a lot a lot warmer there. I know the only brush I've had with falconry, falconry whatever whatsoever, had to do with them using them for keeping birds off of air airports. You know, yeah, them yeah, there is there is a company that has a contract there, and yeah, because bird strike obviously is such an issue that you know having having guys like that. I never did airports, but like we were in the same kind of business before. So I did, I dabbled with a bit of that, but then trapping was the thing that I, you know, learned back in history class long time ago about the old time trappers and, you know, this country was built on it and it was something I thought was always cool, but like, I'm a first generation trapper, like, you know, there, there's hunters in my family and, and everything. Maybe there's trappers down the line. I've never, never heard of it but I'm kind of just figured it out for myself and just kind of finally pulled the trigger on, on getting into it, got my license and started dabbling. But again, like I didn't have a mentor or anybody that, you know, well, good for you though. I mean, like literature and stuff like that, but that's, know, that's the you. overwhelming uh, comment that Sandy and I get when we're out at uh, sportsman shows and all that kind of stuff or, 
people write us an email and I've been doing email all morning, answering e e email from the weekend. They say, exactly like you said, you know, they, they learned about trapping in, in school and how it, you know, it opened the, the Western nation and all that kind of stuff. And, and then, then, they, then they say the next thing, that, which is so sad, they say, I didn't realize it was still legal. <laughs> <You know? laughs> well, you know, I'm surprised. I don't really do the social media thing too much, but every now and then I peruse on, you know, Facebook and I see some local hunting pages and stuff and maybe a guy gets on there and he, he's a trapper, he's trapped something. And then you see the comments, you start reading the comments and all these people, Oh, I thought that was illegal. I didn't know foot traps were even allowed to be used. It's like, you, you guys are, are hunters and you don't know, like you've never, you've never met a trapper and you don't know that it's still alive and, and well. It's so funny when you talk about foot traps, like foot holding, yeah. we, the world has gone upside down here. We went from, they were banning us from our fur going to Europe and that had to do mostly with, with, with what back then we called them leg holds and yeah. the damage they did and all that. Well, now footholds have advanced so much where we've, we've got to, into offsets and laminated jaws and all that yep. kind of stuff. I mean, it's catch and release over and over again. I mean, God knows my, my neighbor's dog is a frequent flyer and I, I, I think I've, I've caught it like nine, 10 times over the last couple of years, but, and they're undamaged. But now in the States, a lot of places, snares cannot be lethal. They have to be what just what they call a restraint cable and, yeah, and block so, the cable restraint. Yeah, on the bandwagon there. Yeah, yeah, you know that way, or or the, or they they actually prefer the footholding. So when 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 they you know the uh, animals are uh, are caught, they can be released without being uh, being harmed and everything. And it was the the leg hold that started the whole war with Europe. You know, isn't it funny how it has changed? How we came back in a circle. Yeah, well, you're and you know like. I've been in the States a lot. Like, you know, as I, when I, when I messaged you back before I talked about education, like, you know, for, for me getting into trap for me all my life, whenever I go, I dive into something, I dive into it, you know, full, full, full bore. And, um, I want to know how to do things correctly. I'm not necessarily, I don't want to say, I don't want to go figure it out for myself, but you want to really cut that learning curve as much as possible. So that's why, you know, I was fortunate enough, you know, I started off in beaver, in, in beaver trapping, a lot of water trapping and then, you know, doing all the news and stuff. I did a lot of news and stuff in, in, in Toronto cage trapping, um, for, for this outfit that I was working for and learned a lot. Um, went to in, Indiana learning from their, their organization there in NACOA, um, you know, which is a big wildlife control operator organization. Um, you know, learning from all the pros there on, on different aspects of, of the job and, you know, talking to these guys and just different. It's amazing how different each state is compared to Canada, where we kind of have an overwhelming, there's more or less, there's one standard, but in the States, yeah. it's, it's, it's the wild west. Like you go to Mark Zager in New York and, you know, all they can use is foothold traps. Yeah. You go to Massachusetts, all they can use is cage traps. Yeah. You go to New Jersey, all they can use is snares and cage traps. <laughs> it's oh, just, I know, I know. know. Three states right, right in the same proximity of each other, and they're all night and day. It, and, you know, it's just, it, it's funny. But And it is so strange because, like I say, on one hand, you know, the foothold was, was, was a terrible evil thing because it damaged it. Now they, now they like it because you can release. And then the, the other side of it, you know, here in Alberta, very quickly our snares are going to be mandated to, to either be a power ram, yeah. which is 
pretty much instantly lethal or to have a, a killing spring on it so that it's yeah. it, it it's you know very quickly lethal is also where you're not going to be able to have a snare that that, that doesn't have a, a way of quick killing like, yeah me mechanical type features yeah yeah, and, and the reason behind that is their thoughts is that, you know, the longer the animal is there, is, is it, it's, you know, under the stress of being, you know, of being restrained and all that. And yet other places think that, that just restraining them is, is fine until you come up and, and dispatch it, right? You know, yeah, you know it, for, for, for myself, like, we're fortunate now that we're able to use, um, in southern Ontario now, we're able to use a relaxing cable string. It, it's kind of a double-edged sword, Rich, like, you know, because we didn't have that we didn't have any type of tool in the toolbox like that before. Um, you know, we can't use snares, anything south of the, I believe it's like the French river. We can't, we can't use uh, suspended snares or let alone anything mechanical. Um, so before that, you know, trappers didn't have the, those types of tool, anything like, a, like a snare type device. Um, is it better than a snare? I, you know, I don't think so. Um, there are certain situations where I wish I could just use, Hey, Rich here. Sandy and I are pleased at the rapid growth of our exclusive community, Trapping Inc. at Locals.com. We created the community to connect more closely with our fans, friends, and supporters without the interference and censorship of social media companies. Because this community is subscriber exclusive, there is no censored photos, shadow banning, and deplatforming as happens on Twitter and Facebook. Trolls are non-existent, as not a one will spend a nickel and put their money where their mouth is to protest on a paid site. You know it. We are steadily moving all Trapping Inc. YouTube videos and podcasts as quickly as time and bandwidth allow. We're tickled and surprised to see how large of library we must move. As well, we are sharing articles on trapping and guns and shooting. Our new TV series, Married to the Hunt, videos are here too. Hours and hours of never-before-released to the internet hunting and fishing from around the world. Trappinginc.locals.com will be the exclusive home of all Trapping Inc. content from the past and into the future. What else is there to do? Well, there's a forum for everyone to post pictures on and interact. You can message us directly on trappinginc.locals.com as well as interact with all the other subscribers. These are all people with common interests. Get in here. This whole venture is about taking the Trapping Inc. TV community to the next level, building a community of shared interest and interacting with all of our friends. Who knows where we can go from here? Just go to locals.com and sign up for a free account. Then search for Trapping Inc. and subscribe for $5 a month. That's it. Go to locals.com to open a free account and then subscribe for $5 a month to Trapping Inc. Help us spread the truth about a way of life and the responsible, ethical management of the wild resources. Trappinginc.locals.com. Now back to the show. You know, and another thing is training. You know, guys maybe having something that getting guys to be trained on using these devices properly, you know. Well, and it's, and it's funny because I know that a couple of the um, – the folks that I've dealt with in the U S and, you know, one guy was, uh, um, I forget which state it was. Anyway, they, they were not allowed to have lethal, uh, snares yet. The, the locks they were using, we use lethally here all the time. And yeah, they, they would say, so well, it's a process rich too. Like it, it's a process. So it's not, it's not alone. It's not the lock. It's not the cable size. It's not the deer stop. It's not the breakaway device. It's every or the location. It's everything all together that that makes it. Because I can guarantee you, I you know I put an RCR and I put it in the wrong spot on a fence crawl under or something. 
I'm going to come back in a couple of days and there's going to be a hung coyote there. Yeah. Yeah. No because of the entanglement. Yeah. But it's, it's not setting it in an entanglement, you know, all these, all these different elements to making it. So that being said, a free hanging snare, if it's not put in entanglement, will it kill, will it kill the animal? It would hold them just like at least the same. Well, way, way back when, and you've, probably never heard of or seen these, but we used to make our own snare locks out of haywire. It was basically a figure eight we made out of haywire yep. every, everywhere. Yep. Probably half of them died died from it. You know, like, I mean, it was it was lethal to them, right? You know, yeah. and, and it didn't have teeth and it didn't have edges or anything else. It was just haywire, you know? Yep. It, 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 uh, so there's more than just what kind of lock it was that, that figures into it. So you started and went right into ADC. You didn't start as a as a residential or trapper or anything like that. I pretty pretty well pretty well. And then you know I had some people that I worked with whenever I got into this company that were trappers, like they were fur trappers, but they had evolved into ADC. So I saw both I saw both sides of it. But you know, in in my heart, I wanted to be a fur trapper. Like you know, if I had tomorrow be choose between one or the other, like I'm I'm a fur trapper. Like, you know. To, to trap an animal in a time of year where there's no value to it, you know, it's not something that you take pleasure in, but no. often there is a need there, this reactive type trapping when, you know, I had beaver in the spring, probably just after, you know, there's probably starting to bite, bite each other up and everything. And the, and the pelt isn't, you know, it's not going to be prime. Uh, but you know, these things are, are doing, they did over $60,000 worth of damage to this property. You know, the guy had to come in with the big excavator and the clam bucket and cut down the big chunk of poplar and ream it through the culvert because it was flooding everything out. And it, yeah. you know, I had to go in there and be the hammer, you, you know, and just, you're taking them kind of out of season, but don't get me wrong. You know, I try to, I try to utilize the animal, taking the casters, I'll keep the, I'll keep the uh, carcass for bait. The, the tails right now on there's a there's a guy I work with who, who collects tails and he takes them to a guy who makes bow grips out of them um, oh cool so those yeah I like you know I got a beaver tail wallet myself it's the most fantastic wallet I've ever seen you know things I uh, keep trying to get my hands on one of them but I can never I can never find somebody oh yeah I'll remember when next time I, ha I make some I'll let you know nobody's ever let me know <laughs> everyone when they see my wallet i get lots of people they ask well what is that oh it's you know it's beaver tail it's you know this this wallet will be the last wallet i buy for a heck of a long time you know and that's and that's cool and you know the pelts the pelts I, i'm actually i just cut a whole pile of willow today at this one job i just finished up and i'm going to be trying to all these out of season beaver because like our beaver right now like we're just getting into the season pretty well they're they're not going to be prime they're going to be as blue as blue can be but you know I'm still going to go get those tanned and I'm going to try and make some hoops. Some of my landowners, I trap coyotes on their property. I, I like to give them stuff, you know, yeah. she's, she's been good to me. So she's one that I asked her in the spring, would you like a wall hanger for your new house and everything? She said, that'd be fantastic. So I'm going to try and make something nice up for her and try and give the animals death some worth, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's difficult. You got, you got to remember though, that, for especially i guess probably probably your your part of the world i mean the biggest relevance that a trapper has is to control the animals you know you're that last 
you're that last bastion of defense between civilization and the wild animals. And so you don't, you're not always dealing with them in the best situation. You know, they're, they're, they've caused trouble and people want them gone now. They don't want to hear a story about why you want to or not. For me, my biggest uh, damage control stuff is uh, I do for the, for the county and, and for uh, a couple of the, the uh, rural management areas and uh, for oil companies, like on my, uh, my uh, registered trap line. Yeah. But I won't do them in, I won't do beaver in May, June, uh, not until, until mid-July. And that's just because the young are born and they can't swim for the first month. Yeah. They count on mom to come back for that first month. Yeah. I, yeah. I will gladly shoot them the first time they, 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 their head pops out of the water and, they're, and they're, they're swimming for the first time. I'd gladly shoot them and not, and not worry about it. But I just, I won't do it and thinking, thinking the young are starving to the death waiting for mom. So yeah, I, uh, when I do my damage control for, for those oil companies and, and, and those kind of situations, I do them from mid uh, uh, July on if, if it has to be done. And, and I really, there's a benefit to that also is because we, we also take care of the dams. We, we either dynamite the dams or dig the dams. And then yeah. they can't get it back unless we have a, an unusual year. They can't get the water back. And so we, yeah. we, we don't have a problem with them for at least one, a one-year cycle there. Yeah. But you know yourself, good beaver habitat is never empty for long. <laughs> well, that's it. You know, it's there's been a long, a lot of land, and then you know you get that spring exodus as well. Where I, I, in certain spots, I tell people, you know, try not to get too excited unless they're really causing the trouble. Like if they're there and you know they're there, maybe just leave them until the fall. But you start piling up beaver in an area that is very, very nice for for other beaver populations, like you may be calling me back a couple times because I may take out a couple dispersal beaver. Then, you know, a couple months later, maybe a couple more move in, you know, if you let them, you let some of them just kind of control that territory for a while. Well, maybe I'm only coming back for two beaver in the fall um, type thing, you know, just trying to, just trying to manage wildlife a little bit better live and let live type thing. You know, the biggest thing whenever I'm doing some of my own work is, uh, can you solve the problem without setting a trap whether it's educating the person maybe habitat modification like whatever with beaver it's a little it's easier said than done but you know yeah. most of the time they're too they're too hard to live with that you have to resort to trapping but you know and, the, um, and there is no through. such thing as, as 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 building some sort of system that they can't dam no no and i i experienced that now i have a i have a contract with a, a multinational company there now that i um they have a baffle and that was the reason why they called me is because the beaver no they didn't plug up the baffle but they did go 10 feet ahead of the the dam that they made and they made their own dam and started raising the water level any like you know like they're <laughs> they're better at being beavers than than we are trying to figure them out right like they always well, they got a lot of respect for them you know? it's their job right everybody says yeah. you know they're so hard working no that's their job they they don't worry about a mortgage or a new car or anything else they they no. get up in the morning and if oh I hear water running. That means, you know, they're the best physicist ever because if there's current, that means they've got something to plug and away they go. They just, they just get at it. We were doing the last couple of days, we've been out on the, on the trap line and cleaning trails. And one place we go alongside of a lake there and we're probably a hundred yards from the lake is where our trail is, which, which is a nice way to, you know, you can set Martin and Fisher and mink traps between the trail and the lake and that, Animals travel those lakes even in the wintertime, even though they can travel on the ice in the wintertime, they travel just like your dog travels on a road, right? He's yeah. not on the road, he's, he's just inside the bush. He's in, you know, 
And that's, that's exactly what the animals do in those situations. But now the beaver have taken and fallen a couple of trees across, across the trail. Well, if the trees had went towards the lake, you know, they'd have had a lot less work to do. But in, so, so instead they fell across, a, you know, a gully and, and across the, the trail. And then they, they've, you know, gnawed off all the branches and packed them away. And my wife yep. says, they're such hard workers. This is, well, they don't know any different, right? You know, it's just. It's just, it's just in total, total instinct. You know, they just, it, they're amazing, amazing creatures. Yeah. What they're capable of, you know, I've had so many customers and you, and you do the, they call you and they say, okay, well, we have a beaver. We ripped the, we ripped the house apart. We ripped the dam apart. I said, well, did you come out the next day? And it was built twice as big and twice as strong. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's their way of giving you the middle finger. Yeah. Well, and they, they don't, they don't know any different. I was helping my, uh, my son-in-law, my daughter, uh, they have a, a ranch in Saskatchewan and, uh, the ranch, one corner of one of their, their half sections or whatever has part of a lake uh, on yeah. it. Right. And the drainage for the lake comes out and goes through their, their quarter. Well, the beaver got in there and took and uh, dammed across it. Well, of course, he's got this, I don't know how big a lake it is, a mile by a mile, something like that. So there's a lot of volume of water there. Yeah. And, you know, you can tear that out and you can drop the water quickly there, but then the water's still going to come flooding in from the rest of that lake, right? So, I mean, every time he throws a stick back on there, it, it, it builds up really quickly. And we got... Um, over two nights there, you know, we, we tore it out uh, two nights in a row and uh, we shot four beaver, but there's still, there was still one left and still had it dammed up before the, before winter. And I said to Mitch, I said, you know, you got to keep on it. Cause I said, if there's one left, I said, they'll have a dam. He's got an unendless resource of water there, you know, that you, yeah. that you can't, you can't drop and, and you know, he's still going to have that current. And as long as there's current, he's going to keep building beaver beaver blitzkrieg that's what i call it whenever i'm trapping because like you know i don't i don't go in you figure out how many approximately are there but you set a lot more gear than what you think are a beaver because you try and especially if that female remains once you get her out of the mix in my experience you can breathe a little easier because probably the first beaver to die is the big male yeah and then you get and if if you can get that matriarch that the queen bee there then all the rest of them will just follow suit and just die but if you leave her and she starts seeing everyone else dying around her she'll wise up real quick okay so let's talk about we've got a, a problem beaver we've got a, a problem a problem dam yeah how, how do you approach this what do you do you know like i, I want to know what what kind of sets work for you or what kind of traps you like uh, you know like for me People say, oh, I, I got a beaver problem. I tore out the dam. Well, that, I hate that. I, I hate the fact that they disturb the dam before I get there. Exactly. Yeah, I, I, I share the same sentiment. It, it, you're better off to just let me come in on, on my terms and do, and do what I do. So I, I, don't, I won't say I throw everything at them. I do keep, I do reserve different tricks and everything for certain situations. But, you know, I like to do a couple of territorial sets, predict the wind, try and predict the wind as much as you can. And you're going to be on whatever the body of water is, wherever you can, depending on the property line too, because you got to think what well, I'm dealing with pretty close knit properties a lot of the time. So my wind direction, it may not work for me. So you got to determine that. And if there's a dam, you can utilize that. But my biggest thing is find the lodge. Okay. Let's take a couple steps back. Some you've used a couple terms that people are, are maybe not going to understand. Uh, when you talk about territorial set, yeah, explain to us what a territorial set is, how how you set it up, and and to use a lure, well, how, how does it work? 
Yeah, so I my territorial set. So with beaver, that's going to be a caster. You know, you know how how much they react to, how quickly they react to another a, the smell of another beaver, a strange beaver in the area. So I like throwing that territorial set out there because that's where you're going to get your male, your big male. When he comes out, he's on patrol. He's out looking for a fight. So I like throwing in. If I'm using 330s, if it's a viable spot, I can use the big beaver traps or 330s. I'll try and use one stick of caster and set multiple traps on all the inlets to the caster. If you if you follow me there, if there's multiple little inlets and 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 channels or kind of thing, it, I gang set that with traps, but I'm only using one little stick of caster. I'm not putting my caster mound and my caster right in front of my 330. The reason why I do that, Rich, is because the trap is right in front of, like, on the bank. We All we have to do here is set it in water now. I don't set my traps in, in water. I always set them underwater. But that's, you know, I'll start rambling on about that. Um, so my thinking behind it is if my traps are set further away from the actual attractant, then if I get a dog or something that's not supposed to be there, it's going to run along the bank and it's going to go smell that caster, but it's not going to be in any risk of getting caught in those, those traps that are in the water on the travel way towards it. Right. It's kind of my thinking there if I'm using three thirties, but my favorite set for getting the mail would be a foothold on a drown rod. I'll use a number five, number five, double long spring, which is a big trap or a number four, double long spring on a 10 foot drown rod. Okay. Yeah, Cause I like as little as you can, put a silhouette of a trap in front of an animal whether it's you know a snare for a coyote or or a 330 for a beaver if you the, the trap they don't see or any sign that you're there is is honestly my best set so if i get them on a foothold and then i like to set all my 330s i like to do a lot of blind sets for all the rest of them you know you find the lodge you find their channels all gang set multiple 330s on H stands in front right. of the and, Oh, in, in, for the lodge entrances, yeah. For we, the we, lodge entrances and your bank dens. Yeah. I set all that. Um, what I have loved though, probably my favorite trap now is, uh, I listened to the podcast of Jim Comstock and I'll tell you, yeah. I'd kiss that man if I ever met him. <laughs> by far my favorite trap, I think for beaver because it like in these urban areas when I'm setting them, it's the trap I do not have to worry about, especially how I set it. I don't set it in a live capture setting. I set it in a kill capture. So the ground. Yeah, so I, I, get them, I get them on their runs on a bank then. I think my model is the 18, I think it's the 18 by 12. I have a couple of those. Well, I, I'll tell you this, I mean, until I talked with Jim, I never, I never paid any attention to, to uh, live traps. Because here in Alberta, they were just something that, that the local PETA lady used for catching the, the neighbor's cat or whatever. And, and yeah, so they weren't, they weren't a serious trapping tool. And when I talked with him and I started looking at them, there's a lot of design in that. Like, and I mean, I, I overwhelmingly, anybody asks me about a live, uh, live trapping situation, I recommend Comstock easily because they, they are so much better. And the situations that he worries about, like, you know, those guillotine ones where, where, where the, your, your uh, yeah. doors fall straight down, well, that, yeah. that can freeze. You know, he, he, he sh took me through everything that, that uh, could happen. And I, I was so impressed with that. I was, I was like, huh, I never gave that, the, the, that 
whole cadre of of traps that you know that whole whole discipline the the live live catch and i never gave it any respect at all before that yeah and like you know they're they're definitely they're not a lesser tool um i use a lot of um the coral clam or the hancock trap if you know mm-hmm. what i mean there yeah it's it's a big clam. i use that a lot um i use it a little bit asymmetrical um and this is this is from talking from guys in massachusetts that that's all they have available to them and they've modified these traps that they're not yeah they're big and they're heavy and everything you don't want to be carrying packing in lots of them but they they like the spirit of the trapper that you know they're told okay we got to you you guys can only use these tools and okay well we'll figure it out and 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 they did and talking to a guy named don lafound he traps a lot of beaver and 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 his and his one helper there they they showed me a modification they make to the trap where instead of a pan it's a 330 trigger that they put it and the way they set that trap and 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 the way they make use of that trap you know i started doing the same thing and i started catching beaver you know because it's it's a it's a lethal set whenever you have a trap that takes up a lot more space in a channel um and it has a lot more reach well that's it. like like a that, trap. that's important and that's probably one of the weakest things that people do is is uh you know fencing something in right and yeah. you know so that you get them to go through that that, that one exact spot and that's where some bad catches happen in water especially you bet you talked about the beaver the, the uh bank dens do you have a secret for finding bank dens the dogs your dogs find them my dogs will find them same with muskrat trapping or they make it easy for me because they're finding all these dens before i even get to them really yeah so, you know days uh, i'll still go and verify you get in the water you stick your boot in the hole for muskrat trying to figure out if it's a good if it's a good run but no it's it's my dogs okay same with, same with uh yeah same with the beaver bank then so a lot of times they'll i know generally where to look of course over time you know where to look and what to look for but they confirm okay. it for you yeah like the simple ones always are on the ends of the of the dam because yeah. you know he'll he'll patrol his dam in the winter time. I you you guys free solid there, do you? It depends on where my my terrain here it varies. I get some spot where I got to trap like come winter time I got to trap them on the under the ice and I have some beaver. Well, I'll be trapping them in January February and there's there's no ice and the beaver have no feed pile because they're able to get out of the water. Oh okay, so you know, very it, different. It really varies. For, my my dogs are are otters. <laughs> yeah. I follow follow the otter, and everywhere the otter goes around a around a uh, beaver house, that's where where you know if they go up on the bank or go at the bank or whatever, that's where they're where there's a den where where, where they have a bank den or whatever. It's because the otter knows how how to get it back under the ice. And uh, my here, first, my first experience with an otter was just a couple of years ago. We don't really have much otter that I've ever heard of, and I didn't think I had them around here. I was doing a nuisance oh. job and had traps in the water going to check the traps of the landowner he drove me to the back of the property and i'm pulling beaver up uh, you know that it got caught and here's a beaver there's a beaver there's a beaver and then i go back to take him out with setters and say what the heck that's not a beaver it, it was an otter and what yeah. it did was it came in it dug out the side of the house on land and it chased that kit beaver that i trapped in the channel it chased it out of the house and got caught right beside him they got caught in the same trap <laughs> yeah and that was the first otter I've ever trapped. Since then, I've trapped two more. I, I trapped two last last year, or sir, yeah, last year, two big dog otter that I'm that I'm gonna get them tanned and 
little wall, wall hanger type thing. I, I'm allowed a dozen a year and it's not any effort to get my dozen. That's, that's a fact, but I do just about all of mine are blind sets like in yeah. the snow in, in the way, you know, in the wintertime because they travel back and forth and it's just, you, you find where they're, they're getting, uh, you know, they have access places that they go down uh, to get back under the water. And they travel from one body of water to some cases, they go five, six miles o o over land. You know, they they're pretty neat. I think they're pretty neat. I'd, lo I'd love to see one alive. One of my landowners just told me um, he, he thought he had muskrat in his pond, but then he said they, they were otter. It was probably about five or six otter that came off the, off the river and into his pond and they were in there dancing around. And then tore ass over over the bank and, and left but like I've never I've only seen them dead in traps I've never seen them alive and you know I spend a lot of time in, in in the outdoors and stuff I'd love to see some bouncing around one day alive but. you you see them a lot more often in the winter than you do in the summer yeah I, I can tell you that I spend a lot of time uh out my trap line and I know how many otter are there we were there this weekend and we must have crossed nine or ten different families like the, the tracks from you know the different areas that we, we were through and all that there's lots and lots of otter again this year but you know you see sign of them in the winter time and you can actually catch them uh, you know if you you happen to come upon where they're going through a hole in the ice into into a creek or whatever they're fishing like everybody talks about that otter eat beaver and muskrat i can't prove that i can't prove yeah. that whatsoever i mean um i have dug through so many of their toilets and because they all they're they're communal poopers basically and they all they all yep. go back up and lots of times that's a great place to set a trap you can set a blind one on the trail where they come out of the water and they're going over to, to the toilet and another one you can set another one right on on the hole itself where they come up out and so you get one that comes out and then the next one comes out goes to use the toilet and you get it, it as well but i have dug through that their their scat and all i ever find are little tiny micro uh, uh fish scales I find yep. little fish bones. Occasionally I'll find like a, a frog leg bone or something, but I have never yet any found any hair. I've never found a, a major bone of, uh, of any sort whatsoever. So I, I don't know. I, I know that I know mink eat a lot of muskrat and I'm, I would imagine mink would take on a kit beaver if it, if it get a chance. I mean, a, a mink is not much. They won't, not much. They won't go after. I'm just glad that they're not, you know, like a 50 or 60 pound German shepherd or something like that. Cause that's what I say to people. I actually, I just dealt with a mink job that it killed over, over 50 chickens or something like that. And I got them a nice big buck mink, but, uh, yeah, I'm glad they're not bigger than they are. Cause you'd never get out of the truck. <laughs> well, that was, I, I, I say that about, uh, about weasel, about the short tailed weasel. We have, we have two here. We have the least weasel, which is just a little tiny thing. Like okay. that, but, and we have the short tailed weasel, which yeah. is the medium sized one. And, and, uh, you know, I've had tug of wars with them. I'd be trying to set up a bait, like a, um, a wolverine bait. And, you know, chicken guts is always good, right? Like in chicken, yeah. I'm talking about grouse. We, we can hunt grouse till the 15th of January here. And, yeah. and so clean them up and throw the, throw the guts there. And then the, the weasels, all the weasels, uh, you know, the um, marten and the mink and the, and the fish and all that, they love that, that chicken guts. And, and uh, you know, you throw it down and, and you turn around, and you come back and you look and, and where did, the chicken guts go and then you see this thing going across the you know the, the streak going through the woods so you chase after yeah. it and here, here's this short tailed weasel and he's got your big gob of chicken guts in his mouth and i've had tug of wars with him uh, i'm holding on to one end of the wing trying to pull it out of it and they, they grunt at you they grunt at you just like it's hilarious and i've often said if they were the size of a, of a coyote we, we we'd fear for our lives we'd, we'd never oh. leave 
uh, you bet. And you know, like the mink, the mink is what I, cause I grew up on a farm. So you'd see them every now and then, of course, coming up, they come in and they eat the rats. Like anyone who has chickens probably has rats. So they come in, they clean house on the rats. And then once they're done with the rats, if they can get your chickens and that's the next on the menu, but you know, they were so bold. They'd wait for you to, my aunt who lived with my parents there and had her chickens, they'd wait for her to open the door and come up. She'd look down one day and sit beside her like a little, like a little a chihuahua, you know, they healing right beside her. It's just like, they're so bold. They just do not care. <laughs> it's, well, I, I've dealt with mink too. Out Like you'd be out ace fishing and they'll come running across the lake. You know, you, you take a fish off. A, 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 I remember this so clearly. I, I would, uh, I don't know. I was, early teens something like that took off a, a perch threw it on the ice and and we were i don't know 100 yards from shore something like that and the fish is flopping i catch another one and there's another flopping all of a sudden this thing comes running out from the from the bush comes right over and it don't even slow down it grabs one of my flopping fish and takes off with it right and, and it's a mink well he came back four more times that day you know like it, it got to be it got to be quite quite the the, the joke you know <laughs> trying to try to chase off this mink because and there was just no you throw him in, in a pail, you turn around, and he'd be in the pail after them. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're funny creatures, man. I mean, you know when they're around in a chicken coop, you can smell them. That's for sure. You know, it astounds me, though, how poorly they swim. Like, I mean, they don't have webbed feet, and they actually have small feet. You know, they mm -hmm. have very small feet. A, a, a short-tailed weasel probably has just about as big a feet. A long-tailed weasel would have as big a feet as a, as a mink does. And there's no webbing, and yet they are so aquatic. It is hilarious to watch them swim because they swim rather slowly I, I often wonder how they catch anything underwater you know well they like people's koi ponds in toronto i've had experience with <laughs> i guess it's easier to catch them when they can only go so far <laughs> yeah. so when you do your, your damage control uh beaver of course are a big deal what yeah. other animals uh I don't do, I, I left that company. I work for another company as I work, I work with Jim Gibb, as I told you there. So I get a lot of time in between our, in between our shifts. So I, I do, I have my own customers, but for me, I, I phased out of doing the residential stuff. Um, like a lot, I like I, a lot of raccoon, especially in Toronto. Um, I phased out of that. I just didn't want to be bothered with that anymore. Carrying ladders, going into attics, all that stuff. So, I kind of just try to stick to helping the farmers with the beaver and stuff and some of these bigger corporations and municipalities with beaver, but also coyote is a big one that I, that I do a lot of urban coyote. Um, really? Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, again, like, I, like I said, you know, when it, when it comes down to it, I get calls, Oh, you know, there's a coyote here. Well, what's it doing? Oh, it's just there. It's what, well, you don't have a problem, but, I had one in the spring where at first they were seeing a coyote, they're seeing a coyote, it's getting closer. I said, well, there's probably someone feeding it. And then next, you know, it attacks somebody. I said, well, now it's crossed the line. So it, it has to go. And, you know, once the health and safety stuff gets involved, all the politics there, like the animal has to, has to go. So I, I struck out there and went and trapped her. There's multiple coyotes. It's not about trapping coyotes. It's about trapping the coyote. Right. And I managed to, and I managed to get her after a lot, it, you know, it, it takes a lot of work and, and, you know, I, I charged for it. I was going there twice a day, maybe three times a day sometimes because this thing was running around in the daytime. Um, oh, that's bad. Yeah. yeah. And, and, uh, and I, and I told them all along, it's like, you know, 99, the studies they've done on these urban coyotes, 
99.9% of the time, whenever you have an aggressive coyote, it's influenced from people feeding it. Right. And after I caught her and, and down, the guy told me, yeah, just to let you know, we were kind of talking with one of the security supervisors at this auto, auto manufacturer. And, um, and uh, one of the, one of the guards at night was feeding this thing. I said, well, you should need to have a conversation with him, a little heart to heart saying, you know, you're lucky that this coyote didn't actually bite the guy. He had yeah. to swing his lunch pail at it to get it, get it to bugger off type thing. That's how, how nasty she was. But, you know, there's lots of coyotes in the area, but, you know, game cameras and stuff like that all do the work that, you know, I had her locked down to a, a day and a time and time of day she was moving and I knew which one it was and, and, I, and I got her. So how do you target the coyote like that? What is, what's your, what's your bag of tricks look like? I've been dibble dabbling. Um, this is once again, something, not my own, not my own insight, not my own idea, but, uh, setting up snares and then using, using callers. Like I was, you know, there were sometimes I was spending the night there type thing, trying to call them, call them in, call them because they already had the trails established. I had to set the snares and uh and, and had her or sorry rcrs relaxing cables i call them snares for yeah but i, I understand leashes. what you're saying <laughs> hanging, hanging leashes but um i was using collars to come and get her through and uh figuring all of her trails and and uh i figured it was a female and and it was but uh because she, she looked kind of rough like she was going in and out of the den so she had pops there was a male coyote there too he's a fox red one and then she had three pups that uh, I think left with the male. Because after I trapped her, I tried to tried to get after the male, even though he wasn't doing anything. But you know, now that this coyote caused a problem, they wanted blood, right? So yeah. they wanted to eradicate everything. But uh, you know, they weren't quick enough making a decision on that. So I got I got the one that was causing the problem because they they had photos of her too. And then I compared photos that I was getting off of my cameras. And the nice thing is cell phone cameras, they send it right to your phone. I don't actually have to be on site. Yeah. I mean, figuring yeah. out the movement patterns. That, that was a big thing. It's figuring, you know, they're just like going to the fridge. You, you get up and you go to the fridge at night or you go up to go to the washroom. She was traveling the same route all the time. And different coyotes were kind of traveling similar areas, but she had a specific path that she would take every day. And so you just got to be there at the right time. What's fascinating too, you know, when, when animals um... – step outside the, the, the normal uh, habits. You know, like you say, when it's traveling during the daylight, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a big no-no, especially situation where, you know, in civilization where there's lots of people. Now. I just set up a, a coyote bait here on, on my home quarter uh, last Friday, and I put up trail cams right away, right? The trail yeah. cams were actually there before, before I set the, threw the bait in. And still, even today, the only... Uh, trail cam uh, video I'm getting of coyotes is at night. There's yeah. lots of birds, there's lots of eagles, all that kind of stuff, but the coyotes are still just at night. And even though now they've been, they've fed on it for four or five days, they yeah. still only come at night, you know, so they, oh. they, they haven't suspended, uh, uh, you know, all, all fear or, or anything else, right? Well, the ones, the ones I saw just the other day were probably the worst I've seen for uh, just their, that urban urbanization of, of, of the coyote is um, a golf course that gave me a call through a referral for another golf course that I, I trapped coyote for before. Um, they have coyotes there, five pups or better, and then two adults that at least I go there and there's a coyote sleeping in one of the bunkers of the little sand pits there at the golf course. 
Right in broad daylight. I was there about, I don't know, 10 o'clock, 10 a.m. in the morning. He's just sleeping there. And I probably could have walked right up to him and grabbed him by the scruff of the neck and thrown him in my truck. Like, I'm pretty confident I could have done that. Wow. He, just did, he could not give less of a care that I, that I was there looking at him. That's too bad, too, because, I mean, on the couch. yeah, I mean, it, it's too bad because they become just acclimatized and then, and then all of a sudden one day things don't go their way and, and they get vicious and then, then it's an over, over and done deal. Well, you know, and, and that's it. And, 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 and again, I'm, I'm assuming an animal that's been conditioned to be so comfortable with people, I'm assuming that there's people on the golf course, whether it's members or, or groundskeepers or whatever that are feeding them. Well, yeah, I mean, and they're they're pretty damn good scroungers too. It's like you ever watch that movie, uh, The Great Outdoors, with John Candy, and yeah, and and the raccoons. And the raccoons yeah. <laughs> every every time I talk to you guys, you you ABC guys back there, see we we have no raccoon here. I yeah. have never caught a raccoon in my life. I've, I have no experience whatsoever. But every time I, I talk to you, ADC guys, I, I, I think of that movie and, and about uh, the different things they go through, you know, and, and oh, and you put rocks on top of the garbage can. That never works. You know, all, all they go. But, but coyotes, uh, I know, are, are very efficient at, at scrounging, you know. And so it's oh, not yeah. that you're necessarily feeding them, but if you're leaving something that's accessible, that becomes a source of food. And, and they, know, they know that you're the one that's leaving it accessible, whether you're you're throwing it to them or putting it in a garbage can, your smell is still all over it. And so they associate you with that food. Yeah. you know, and I often, you know, I give the example to people who said like, the, you know, Oh, they think there's something wrong with them. Of course, when they're seeing them in daylight, okay, there's, there's something wrong with them. I said, well, I can guarantee you they're, it's probably a perfectly healthy animal, but they've lost just like you go downtown Toronto, you walk down the street, you're tripping on pigeons. Yeah. If they've lost respect for people, people, it's become white noise to them and we're just white noise to, to the pigeons. It's the same thing with the coyote. The only difference is the coyote has teeth and it's, you know, 10 times larger than a pigeon and, yeah. you know, has the ability to do damage to a person. So that's where it becomes a problem. But it's just that most of the time people see a coyote, they avoid them, you know, a certain time of year, of course, when people are running their dogs off leash and stuff and, you know, coyotes get territorial, they get ornery when breeding season. So that's when people's dogs start getting torn up and stuff like that. But yeah, you know, it's I, just really an urbanization of the animal. They, like you say, they're very efficient at finding food. The only time I've ever seen a starving coyote is because it, it, there's something wrong with it. it that's right. Been, you know, we, we have those situations where uh, somebody will shoot a wolf and they'll get a hold of me and they say, you know, uh, it's got mange, you know, I mean, I, I stood there and, and I, I got time and I got to shoot it and it's got mange. So, you know, well, you know, what's, are there that many? I, I know, no, you, you got to shoot it because it's got mange and it's not in good, it's not in good shape. You know, it's, it's not, not thinking well and it's, and it's not, it's not healthy. That, that's why you got the shot at it, but people don't ever put two and two together. Right. Yeah, you know, they, they figured they, they did it a favor. And, and in this country, they most likely did do it a favor. Not many animals make the winter with mange. No, no, not a chance, but they, you know, the, the mange was the over overlying uh, problem in the, in the whole situation. Right. I've only trapped one with mange and that was the last, last year, my fur trapping season for coyote was probably, I don't even want to talk about it because it was a bad season. <laughs> everything, everything that could go wrong, just, it's one of those, I don't even, I'm embarrassed to say with how many I caught. Like I just, by the time things started connecting, it just, you know, the season was pretty well over. And my wife was nice enough to let me extend it despite my pouting because I'm just too, <laughs> 
<laughs> just too stupid to give up, I guess. I don't know. But, uh, you know, I... Did you learn anything? Pardon me? Did you learn anything? Oh, God, yeah. There you go. Then the, 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 it wasn't wasted. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's a lot of... You, a lot did you guys of, get... Well, I went into it. I went into it kind of last year trying to do something new, trying not necessarily reinvent the wheel, but trying to go at it at a different angle. And it just didn't work. So this year I'm just going back to my roots in the next couple of weeks, probably end of November, I'll, I'll get to foot trapping because that's what I prefer foot trapping them. So I'm going to run more equipment over a larger, run a long line on them and try and get as many as the young dumb as I can. And then I take a break and generally January 1st, I'll have bait out at locations beforehand, but January 1st, I'll start setting RCRs on, on baits and try and just do the month of January like that. Um, you know, just getting what trickles in type. So thing. I got to know what, what, what did you do last year that didn't work? The, 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 the reinvention here. And I want to okay. know what your favorite, your favorite. Just trying to run a mixture. Uh, I, I was trying to, our weather is, it, it's kind of like, what Mark Zager talked about his weather or whether it's just it, here, especially in Southern Ontario, now it gets pretty volatile. And if it just stayed cold, I could deal with it. If it just stayed warmer, I could deal with it, but it's always the phase between, you know, we'll get freezing rain or we'll get a big warm up, and then we'll get freezing rain and then we'll get snowfall and then we'll get a warm up, and then, you know, so on and so forth. So what I was trying to do, I was trying to run a lot of wax dirt. I was trying to, I was trying to make foot trapping happen more in January where it just, it's, it, it's too hard to keep trap traps operating. Like, you oh, know, okay. You, and, and that was my issue. You, you get all the gear out and then you get a big snowfall. Um, and then you go and you dust off the sets, you maybe catch a few, but then, then you get a big freezing rain. So you're, 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 you're fighting the weather more. And the biggest thing is what I learned is don't, go to the coyotes or don't you don't get the coyotes or you go to the coyotes get them to come to you and all i mean by that is you go at them on your terms which is what exactly what mark zagger does like you know he goes and he traps i went i, I did uh, mark zagger's coyote you as well and i mm -hmm. learned a lot from maybe you don't adapt everything that you learn but there's a lot what i took away from zagger's course the most is meet them on your terms is what i'm talking about you know he gets at them whenever the weather is the most suitable and viable for him to run a lot of gear, keep it operating and produce animals. So that's was kind of my mistake is I was trying to make it, I was trying to make the, the terrain and the, and the weather meet what I wanted to do rather than right. adapting to what the weather was doing. And it really, it really set me back. See here we can foothold uh, um, our, our canines all open the first of October. Yeah. However, they're not prime. I'm not even killing canines right now. Um, no. You know, I will pr probably start setting in the towards the end of the first week of November. But I get my bait out early. But you, if you're going to foothold, I know people in Central Alberta and Southern Alberta where they don't get the snow in that. Now this is this is when they're footholding, and yeah, sure. they don't have snow, they don't have wet, and it's a good time for footholding, right? Once again, they're 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 making the conditions and and the uh, method work together for us here you'd have started to maybe for the first two weeks of October, you'd have done footholding. Then you go away from that. Cause this time of the year now it's wet, dry, wet, dry, all that kind of stuff. And if you're going to foothold again, 
in November when the snow is here and, and to stay, then, then, then we foothold in the snow. You know, yeah. you, you use snow just like you'd use, like you'd use uh, your wax dirt. But when then, you know, as soon as it's starting to get cold now, now their, their food demands are higher, then those bait piles are, are very hard for them to, to resist. And that's where we, we kill most of them over snares, wolves or coyotes. Oh, and, and that was another, that was kind of another bugger up on my part too, is the weather, how the weather was, it, it remained on average. My best year that I, that I had for coyotes since I started, because I haven't trapped coyotes since I started trapping. I started water trapping for quite a while and I never really, I never really looked at land trapping for coyotes. I just, for some reason, it just didn't click with me. Plus you hear all the old, all the people talking about, oh, like you basically got to wear a hazmat suit to put no, a because of no. human overheating. But this is the stuff that, that was out there, right? Yeah. And then you start going to places like Zagger. But anyhow, my first, my first introduction to coyote trapping was actually in Texas. I went to Texas, um, northern Texas in, in March. Um, me and James Corsell, I'm good friends with James Corsell. We talk all the time, but we, we went to Texas there to go trapping. I actually did a podcast with him last week. And oh, I, yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, and I, 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 I published it today. <laughs> you all have to listen to that one. Yeah, that's good. But um, we, well, we were talking, I, I listened to your Idaho, uh, talking to the Idaho trappers there about wolf trapping. And, and I, I put that bug in his ear about, about going to Idaho. So I told him that uh, the one one gentleman you interviewed, I can't remember his name. Is Roger Roman? Yes. Yes. Yeah. He, he, that he loved, he loves the coral wolf trap. I said, well, there yeah. you go. We need to talk to him. <laughs> yeah, uh, we go to Idaho. Yeah, Roger. Roger's a good guy, and then the uh, he, and he's the head of um, uh, wild management for yeah uh, wild wildlife for for wildlife management. Or? Yeah, and then I also I also did uh, one with Rusty Kramer, who's the head yep. of the Idaho Trappers Association. Yeah, yeah, I listened to that one too. It, you talk about wolf trapping or whatever, you get my attention. I I've never <laughs> trapped a wolf. I'd love to go trap, especially foothold trapping a wolf. I think that'd be that that'd be the coolest thing. So your favorite uh, foothold for coyotes? I use my favorite foothold is is probably a Jake trap, but we're they're not they're not Aedis certified. Yeah. But the ones I use are a Bridger number three with a it's a modified jaw is what it called. The, the Canadian jaw number three, yeah, that's yeah. my favorite trap. Um, I do use. I do have some MB550 rubber jaws. I've caught coyote with them. I'm not a big fan of rubber jaw nope. personally. Um, the 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 rubber on the pads gets all torn up. Like you got to do more. You got to do more maintenance on the rubber pads than anything. Because and then what if you do get cold weather? The two, of course you're going to get a catch when it's the coldest. All those all those little barbs where they torn it up. Well, that gets hard. And you know, next you know you have an, an animal with. with damage on it you know well here here in the north that rubber gets too hard anyway and i mean it's the same as it as it being steel i don't agree with with rubber jaws on on any of those footholds and that for for this far north and and uh it just it doesn't work for me i i've uh wolf traps i've i've I used coro i've used lay um i've used uh the bridge of brawn you know yeah that kind of stuff those those big stuff i also have some harris centerfire like out of montana oh, yeah. cool. wonderful wonderful trap but now this year we have to use certified wolf traps yeah and that's gonna limit a lot 
That's like a, a bridge. Was, I think that's a Bridger Alaskan number five rubber jaw or offset. No, there's a Victor number four. Uh, uh, pardon me, a, a number three Victor four four coil rubber jaw that that is has been certified for Wolf. If you can okay. believe it, really, <laughs> you can even fit there. That was kind of my. That was kind of my hesitation too with the MB. I used MB five fifties in Texas, but they had the ones we used was, was a laminated offset jaw. Yeah, it seems like a lot bigger trap in Texas. But then these MB five fifty rubber jaws, when you're using them, they seem like they're puny. And I, I've caught some big coyotes, like you know, uh, I've caught ones that were weighed that I caught a fifty five pound coyote. I caught a fifty one wow. pound coyote. Like those are big coyotes. Those yeah. are the ones that everyone tells me I saw a wolf. I saw a wolf or yeah. a toy wolf. Or I said, I don't, I don't go and use all those different words for them. I call them an Eastern coyote, which is basically a mongrel. You can call yeah. me a Lonkin wolf, the koi wolf, koi dog, yeah. wolf, whatever you want. But to me, they're just Eastern coyotes. Some of them are bigger than others. I caught my first black one in the spring. Um, you know, I've caught one that looked like a German shepherd. Like, I, I you know, there's some, some of them those ones you guys get back east there i wouldn't kill when i walked up to it because be, i'm sure i'm killing somebody's dog like, yeah, I, mean, they... I, I get a, a good pocket in my area of fox red ones i trapped a lot of fox red last year oh really um, yeah yeah there's one i trapped that was as red as my beard um that no was, kidding uh, that was two two that was the first first coyote i trapped of the season was this big fox red guy and he was a 51 pounder well, the biggest problem though is like for years the way the agreement read was that we could we could modify our own wolf traps and yeah. and it was going to be fine well i've now been dealing with a, a conservation officer and and the government of alberta because this year we are supposed to use the certified ones the ones that have only been certified well like coro isn't certified harris isn't certified i thought i thought it was all i thought it was all not for I wolf they their number not not oh. not for wolf and I mean, when you're footholding uh, an animal with a trap the size of a lay or a coro or even a bridger brawn, and a bridger brawn probably weighs half of what the other two do. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, there's half the steel there. So you're talking about a very heavy trap. The, the amount of swivels you have is, is so important when it comes to yeah, damage, but... right? And, you know, if, if they're not controlling those, those kind of variables, then it's not a real fair test of the trap because any one of those traps holds an animal you know like i mean no no question so but for coyotes i was doing some of the bridger stuff and i just wasn't really impressed with it and i started getting into the belial foot snare i have i have belial foot snares as well um that that i use mind you i just started using them last year and i haven't caught a coyote with them but uh they, the they work. I work for the guy I work for now. He's done a lot with the Belial foot snare and modifications to him and stuff like that. So he's, I'm fortunate enough that I have the like the Belial foot snare guy. If you want to ask someone about Belial foot snares type thing, so but I'm yet to catch a coyote with one. It's, are, are we talking about Darcy? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> he is a genius. He is a yeah. genius. He's a very to, smart I, I, man. I've learned a lot. I've learned a lot from 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 him. You know, and he's uh, you know, he wants to be out there trapping, but he can't always be out there trapping. So I'm 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 one of those guys. I just I'll I'll bug you with questions if I you know I want to know the answer. I want to know, like I said, just lessening that learning curve, right? So I don't need to make the same mistakes that you did. You know, if you know better, you'll yep. tell me, Jay, don't do this, and this is why okay, well, I won't do that because that's what, you know, it's not all this bull crap type, you know, 
No, there's no sense. There's no sense BS and be, be, be straight about it. You know I mean? If it's a, if, if it's a 30 pound coyote or a 40 pound coyote, whatever, that's what it is. Uh, the, the thing that I enjoyed talking to Darcy about the foot snare, and I want to get him on the podcast here, but that I enjoy, he doesn't look at them like they're a, like, that, like they're a foothold. They, he treats them so much differently than, than you would a regular foothold. And I, all of a sudden when I started looking at all those things, you know, the fact that he can, he can preset them all and take them out, uh, out, out into the, uh, you know, yep. out to the bush with them. They're all preset in the, yeah. in the bit. Yeah. yeah. And, and when you start three, thinking you know. about that stuff and then when you start thinking about how much they weigh, you know, the, the difference in weight. And then once, once the, the snares on it, that's all it's there. You don't have a seven or eight or nine pound uh, trap hanging off them like you do with the, with the, the Dan Lay, right? You know, yeah. which causes its own damage problems and, you know, the, the, all that. Where I had had my biggest success, even though I used them differently than he did, and, and I've learned so much from him, was the coming up through the snow. Like, I mean, they yeah. come up so fast and so good through the snow. There is not a, a regular conventional trap out there that'll come through the snow like, like that will. No, and, and that's like I say, my favorite foothold trap is the Jake trap. One of the elements of the Jake trap I love, which I wish, I'm, I've, I've been bugging James about he needs to make a coyote model trap with um, wire levers. The wire levers on the Jake trap. Yeah. They, they come up so much faster. Yeah because it, it has that much less resistance. The same thing with blowout foot snare. Like you don't have these big jaws coming up through the yep. snow or, or through your, through the debris and everything. Yep. It's, it, they're nice traps. I did no, have them. I actually sold my Jake traps to, uh, to James because he, he, he uses them where, where he is in Manitoba. Well, I mean, when you talk about it and everybody talks about, you know, because what we're talking about is, is the springs and whether the springs have a guard on them or not. Yeah. Um, Here's a Harris. <laughs> this, this is a Harris centerfire. And uh, these don't have a, a guard on them, right? So yeah. that, that coming up through the, through, through the, the uh, resistance of it coming through the snow or, or through the, the, uh, the duff or whatever is, is no big deal. But now yeah. if you have a guard over top of that, you know, like some people believe, like the, uh, the number nine Alaskan and James yeah. from, uh, from Coral Traps, he has a guard over that so that this can't be chewed on. Well, that's all more resistance when it's coming up out, uh, out of frozen frozen ground in that, right? Yeah, you bet. Oh. Yeah, I do a lot of, when, I, when it comes to coyotes, if I have the snow, um, my favorite way to trap them is a foothold on a drag um, on, a, on, a, on a trail in a footprint. I, you know, I wish I had, I need to get more drags because I, I, I lay them out whenever you do that because it's, it's not a snare in their face. It's not a an attractor, there's no attractor, them coming up to a set, it's just them traveling. And you, you put that trap in a paw print or whatever, and then you get a snow that night, you, you have them. The thing about coyotes too, is that they're not afraid of steel. No. Like that, that's the thing about wolves. Our wolves here, they will go out of their way. The smell of steel is a bad, bad thing for them, but a coyote, a coyote might crawl under a dozen barbed wire fences in a day. The smell of steel doesn't bother him at all. No. No, you know? no, you're, you're absolutely right there. No, they're, uh, I use, uh, like I say, I, I like using a lot of drags. Um, and I paint my, I'll paint those traps white too. Um, yeah. So, you know, if you get a little bit of snow, but like I said, it, it, our, our, our weather is so volatile where you'll, you'll have a foot of snow and then two days later it'll be plus five and all the snow's gone, you know, so it's your equipment and what you're using, it, it, it can become, problematic real overnight 
and also just a lot of freezing rain, getting those snares back and uh, operable again. Once you had a good freezing rain, you know, you got to go through them all and make sure. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. We, we, we end up with that, with that situation too. It's just I'm, on the trap line. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to let you go. I imagine you've got stuff to check. I know that I've, I've got, uh, I got to go over and I got a few more trail cams that I've got to check, but I have had a most enjoyable time talking with you. Uh, it's, it's always so interesting. We'll have to do this again sometime. Okay. No, I, I appreciate you, you know, offering to you know like i said in the message i'm, I'm not sure if i'm interested enough to be on the podcast but <laughs> well, uh, you know, i appreciate you giving giving me an opportunity to come chat it's nice to meet you we've you know, talked the better part of an hour and a half man <laughs> hey, hey, so funny yeah, my dogs are just snoozing they had a long morning out on the line pulling all my beaver sets so i got a pile of beaver that i gotta go take care of no. <laughs> if people want to reach you how do they reach you you got a website uh, I, I keep pretty low key. I don't have a website. I just, I don't know. I, uh, I'm on Facebook when I do check it and uh, sbwildlifesolutions at gmail.com is my email. But, you know, like I say, I, I keep pretty low key. I just put my head down and work. But, you know, I'm <laughs> fortunate enough that I get to do this, you know, this crazy stuff year round. Oh, that's perfect. Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you being here and uh, we'll wrap it up with that. And thank you everybody for, for listening along. It has been a wonderful time and maybe we'll see you down the line.